Radio Station. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duva and I are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, repeated at 11 and Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates at a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara and Figueroa streets at Anacapa Street in Montecito's Upper Village and Arlington Financial and Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Well, Neil, that's great news that you are fully vaccinated. I am super excited for you. Yes, but when I just read the introduction, I missed all the commas. Yeah, well, I thought you might you might have COVID brain fog. Yeah, I'm wondering why, you know, everything is kind of flowing into each other. I didn't see any of the commas. I, and commas can be very important, by the way, in case you're interested. Yes, yes, yes they can. And there's a trade-off between the COVID vaccine and commas, but, I'll, you know, I guess I'll go with the, with the vaccine. Well, we are thrilled to welcome to the show today Meredith Hendricks, Executive Director of the Santa Barbara Land Trust. Meredith, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you. So the first article today is in today's New York Times. And it's a very interesting article because it says most of you, it begins with most of you, the readers, uh, didn't notice a December court ruling in federal court in New York about a 2014 case involving a private equity firm. And um, it, in the writer's opinion, and I think it's a good point of view, that it may really be trouble for private equity firms that do leverage buyouts. Uh, basically, a, a leverage buyout, if you're not aware, is where uh, somebody buys a company, usually a public company, and uses the assets of the company to borrow most of the money. And then the idea is to work on uh, turning it around and then bringing it public again. So um, in the last... Uh, 40 years, there's been probably more money made by these transactions than anything else, even hedge funds. And um, sometimes they end up, the deals end up a, a disaster because of the uh, amount of money that's borrowed, sometimes pushes the companies under. And what this case is about is a uh, leverage buyout that was done to buy a company called Nine West, which was the shoe company. They also owned Ann Klein, Stuart Weitzman, and Gloria Vanderbilt. And uh, the, the company made a deal with a, with a, 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 a Sycamore, which is a, a, a private equity company, Sycamore Partners. And in the 11th hour, uh, Sycamore changed the deal uh, from uh, a $395 million uh, equity contribution to $120 million, reduced it dramatically, and um, uh, loaded the uh, company up with a $1.55 billion in debt. A couple of years later, 2018, the whole company filed for bankruptcy, and uh, everyone, uh, 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 particularly the banks, lost, lost their, their investment. Well, uh, what the court said in a lawsuit 
is that the board of directors and the offices of the selling company uh, needed to take uh, a care of st a standard of care, not to have let the uh, leverage buyout company put so much debt on the deal, and therefore uh, could be sued by the investors who lost money, and in effect uh, placed on companies that are willing to give their companies up to private equity firms and leverage buyouts, put them at risk that they could be sued if the deal didn't go well. And the point here is that it could result in a uh, either a reduction in leverage buyouts or less aggressive leverage buyouts as the selling company becomes more responsible. I have to say that, that that's probably a ruling that will help uh, the co underlying companies actually stay solvent. Well, I hate to sound like uh, a super, super, super liberal, but you know the reality is that one of the ways that these uh, leveraged buyout companies made money is not only by leveraging the companies, but by firing people. I mean, the, the secret to turning these companies around appear to be firing everybody. So in terms of social um, benefits, uh, you had a basically a 40-year run of companies being, even profitable companies that just weren't growing, being basically uh, torn apart to to pay for the debt that was placed on them as a means of making them more attractive to the stock market. So from a social standpoint, I'm not sure that leverage buyouts was really in everyone's best interest. The next article, speaking of everyone's best interest, is again about, about SPACs, uh, SPAC special purpose acquisition companies. Uh, and it's in the New York Times also. And what it's talking about is that the paradigm now is now shifting where startup companies used to rely on angel investors and venture capitalists to shepherd them through the process of a startup to where they're able to go public. And as part of that, uh, the venture capitalists and the angel investors would, would actually help these companies uh, work on problems and advise them as to what's the best plans that they need to do to go public. Well, with SPACs, the idea of a SPAC is, a, is essentially a shell corporation that uh, some investor creates by raising money uh, with no assets, and they uh, go public with this uh, shell company, and they go out and buy uh, startups. So the startup doesn't have to go through a public offering. Uh, the uh, a startup becomes essentially the entire SPAC and they just switch the name around and all of a sudden the company is, is, is public. And the problem with this is twofold what the article talks about, which is not only do they lose the coaching part of the uh, benefits of having uh, angel investors, but also um, there really is a reason for the process of going through uh, the scrutiny of a public offering with the SEC and with uh, roadshows where you go around and you discuss with um, investors what the risks are and make investors better able to understand what they're investing in. So, you know, this, this SPAC revolution that's causing companies to be able to go public maybe too soon without really great due diligence is another aspect of what is probably a, a symptom of a, of a really overheated stock market. Also though, I think, I think you know, the whole roadshow and the dilution and cram down of the rounds of 
what happens when when you have investment bankers getting involved. It's not all Pollyanna. Half of that going public business, it, it is a way for the investment bankers to make more money than even the founders of these startups. And so, you know, though I do think SPACs are incredibly risky given that they haven't gone through the public due diligence as the founder of the, the um, startup, it actually could be more lucrative for them to not go through the public offering with investment banking. True. Uh, the next article is from the Washington Post, and the article um, highlights a recent study by a group of British economists that are taking a contrarian view about inflation. And their thesis is that inflation, the low inflation we've had, is uh, partly a function of the rise of China, uh, where China, and in some cases, Eastern Europe, and even the Soviet Union uh, were able to deliver an incredible, what they call a supply shock to the availability of labor by uh, being in the position to produce things cheaper than in America and, um, uh, and cause prices to, of, of final goods to be lower than they would have otherwise. And what, the, uh, what these British economists are saying is that China's working age population is, is rapidly shrinking. Um, and um, that is true also of other uh, industrialized economies. And there may be the beginnings, and, the, and it's, it's not showing in the statistics yet, but they, they, they say, quote, we, this portends for relative labor sc scarcity uh, and corresponding increase in workers' bargaining power. So they're making the case that with an aging Chinese economy, uh, and um, uh, there may be pressure because we're not going to have the same benefit of essentially uh, what people in this country thought was unfair competition, but it may be a good thing for workers and, and a bad thing for inflation. Uh, the next article is uh, from uh, the uh, New York uh, Times two days ago. And what's interesting about this article, it's essentially saying that, uh, and I, you know, it's so funny because now we have a democratic administration. And I remember four years ago, the Republicans were saying the unemployment rate is inaccurate. It's really much higher. That was during the election in 2016. And now uh, there are Democrats and others who are saying the same thing. And uh, what we're seeing now is the Fed saying that we need to count two different classes of people in the unemployment numbers, we need to, which are not counted in the Labor Department's numbers. We need to count those that have been miscalculated, misclassified as employed, but not at work. And we need to uh, add back people who have lost work since last year and are not applying for jobs right now. So they're not officially counted in the outside labor pool. So there is a, a group of people, including people at the Fed, that are saying unemployment is not down to three, four percent. It's really a ten or eleven percent, and that has obviously major implications for how the Fed is going to have to view the trade-off between unemployment and inflation. Um, you're listening to Money Talk on AM twelve ninety KZSB, and we'll be right back.
For prospective home buyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com, or you could call us at, in the studio at 805-564-1290. And if you're just joining us, we have Med- Meredith Hendricks, who is the Executive Director for Land Trust for Santa Barbara County. So Meredith, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Diane. Thank you. Thanks. So tell us, how did you get involved with the Land Trust? Well, I've been the executive director at the Land Trust for just over four months, so it's a new role for me. However, uh, my mom's family is from Santa Barbara. My great-great-grandfather and great-great-grandmother both moved here in the 1860s and got into agriculture. And so uh, my whole life, I've grown up having a relationship with and loving Santa Barbara County. And when this job opened up, I jumped at it. I was living up in the Bay Area, and I thought, this is my chance to keep Santa Barbara gorgeous, stunning, vital, and all those great things that we love about it. So now what did you do before you came to Santa Barbara? I was doing land conservation work up in the Bay Area, which is really challenging in such a dense urban environment. I was the land programs director for Save Mount Diablo, which was working on and around Mount Diablo in the East Bay. And so with your, you know, strong family roots to um, Santa Barbara, you know, how would you say your great, great, is it what two greats, great, great grandfather, how he helped set the trajectory for farming in this area? 
Well, I think that uh, my family arrived at a time where agriculture hadn't boomed in quite the way that it has now. You know, today's dollars, I think agriculture in our county produces something like $1.3 billion in revenue. Um, and there was a, there's such an incredible climate here and really highly productive soils. And it was just, I think that they were in the right place at the right time to begin cultivating a diverse amount of crops. But one of the things that he specialized in was um, extending the growing seasons. So other parts of the country, as they're painfully aware right now, I'm sure, really are limited in terms of what times of year they can grow things, where they can grow things. And one of the special charms of Santa Barbara is that we can grow more and for longer and in different places. And I think he really focused on that. So he was able to be productive throughout the year. So I'm, now, reading, I'm, I'm reading a book now, a novel called The Four Winds. I don't know if you've heard of it, mm -mm. but it's a story about um, the, the Dust Bowl and yeah. the people's struggles back in, in the 20s and the, and, and the 30s. And, you know, one of the things that I had forgotten was that the, the, uh, uh, the lack of rain uh, was exacerbated by poor farming, where the farmers didn't realize that they were ruining the land. Um, how much of what you do is is about education for the farmers? That's a good question. I, part, what we're interested in doing is preserving the landscape in perpetuity, perpetuity being a very long time. And so we help structure conservation deals that will naturally lend themselves to sustainable practices, though we don't really teach farmers how to farm. They're, they're doing it here and they're doing it pretty well. Uh, what we look at are things like water use, where you can build structures, you know, how heavily impacted the land will be. That will naturally help create a more sustainable system. But the issue of soil and soil health, it's an incredible field, Neil. There's, there's a lot to dirt that we don't really appreciate. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Midwest is facing some of those challenges anew in terms of depleting the resources in the soil. And so I think one of the things that some of our partners are doing is you know, practicing regenerative agriculture, where they're trying to give back to the earth and to the climate as they produce food and crops. So let's take a, a, a little bit of a step back and can you just explain what the land trust actually is and what is a conservation easement? Sure. So the land trust for Santa Barbara County is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Our mission is to sustain the beauty and the habitat, the recreation and the agriculture values throughout Santa Barbara County, every part of it. Uh, we do that in a number of ways. One of the key tools that we have is to do a real estate transaction involving something called a conservation easement. A conservation easement is a legally binding document. Um, it's a real estate document that gets attached to a property's title, just like anything else that you do in real estate. People might be more familiar with access easements or you know, sort of frontage easements, driveway right away, that kind of thing. A conservation easement essentially is a version of a real estate document that limits future development of the property. What we're trying to do at the land trust is protect land forever, land that has value around agriculture, conservation, habitat, recreation. And what an easement does is it kind of freezes in time what exists today on the land 
it really clearly describes what allowable future uses are. You, you can build X number of structures within this footprint and you may not build anywhere else on the property. You may use the property for agriculture. You may not develop more water and dig a bunch of wells, et cetera. So it's a really complicated contract that lays out protections for a specific piece of property that will then run with the land. So it's not a contract between the land trust and a specific person. It's a contract that the land trust enters into and gets attached to the property and stays there forever. And that document, that easement has real value because we're changing the future use of the property. So now it has real value for us all as community members, but why would a landowner actually um, enter into this easement with you? Sure. You know. Yeah, so conservation easements have value beyond the public benefit. I mean, we, we enter into them because of the public benefit. That's why we do it as a nonprofit. But essentially what we're doing is buying the development rights from a landowner for their property. So people can be paid for conservation easements for selling them. Uh, they can also donate them, and there's really significant tax benefits associated with donating a conservation easement. So, for example, the conservation tax incentive that was sort of formalized and improved in 2015 allows for a landowner who donates a conservation easement to deduct up to 50% of their annual income on their taxes uh, up to the value of that easement with a carry forward period of 15 years. And if they happen to be in agriculture, if they're qualified farmers, they can make that 100% of their income is deductible up to the value of the easement for a period of up to 15 years. So you can either get cash at the time you sell the easement, or you can take some pretty significant tax benefits should you donate it. And what do you see people doing um, more of, donating the, the easement back to you to get the tax benefits, or do you see them actually um, taking cash? Uh, we see both and it really depends on their personal circumstances. So in some cases, people are trying to um, extract some resources in order to reconcile heirs or buying out partners or uh, paying off some obligations. In other cases, they have some real tax issues, some estate tax issues, um, capital gains, et cetera, et cetera. And an easement is the right tool for them for a donation. It really depends on the personal circumstance or the business circumstance. And now where does the land trust come up with the, the funding to buy if the, if the landowner is looking for cash for the conservation easement, how do you go about getting, you know, how do you go about getting the money to buy it from them? We, we raise money from a lot of different sources. Santa Barbara has people who feel so strongly about the beauty of this place. And so we're very fortunate to have some incredible supporters, some donors. We also leverage their gifts with a lot of public funding. So there is public funding available for the preservation of agriculture, for the protection of certain species, for the preservation of watersheds, et cetera. And so we leverage public and private dollars along with grant dollars um, to put together a package that allows us to protect an individual uh, piece of land. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank 
Based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. Take an ordinary putty knife and scrape off the old wax ring. Place the new wax ring over the flange, then line up the bolts with the bowl and gently set in place, making sure a proper seal is created with the flange and drain. Next. Um, Dad? Uh, yes, yeah, sweetie. Is that an old plumbing manual? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, honey. We really need to get some new books. Right, um, do, do you want me to stop? Nah, I kind of want to know how it ends. Okay, tighten the bolts, line up the flushing valve to the opening in the top of the bowl, and secure the tank with a screwdriver and crescent wrench. <laughs> the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. This is how we do every day. We be grinding. And if you want to come and text us, If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, oh, this is Mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Meredith Hendricks, Executive Director of the Land Trust for Santa Barbara County with us today. So what is new that's going on at the, at the Land Trust now? Meredith, are you with us? I okay. am, although my connection is unstable. I'm not, but my internet connection is. So. <laughs> <laughs> Were you asking what's new at the Land Trust? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, our work has not slowed down despite the circumstances. And so this may not be new, but it's something everyone should know, which is that we have a preserve uh, along the Gaviota Coast called Arroyo Hondo Preserve, and we've kept it open for public access throughout the pandemic. And so folks are able to hop on through our website, um, sblandtrust.org, and make a reservation to get out and have a really lovely, calm experience out in nature at Arroyo Hondo. So I would encourage folks to check that out. We've also just launched our Lunch and Learn series. Uh, we're doing it via Zoom, but that's a chance to grab your lunch and sit back and hear uh, speakers of various topics. We just had one on fantastic fungi. And up next is a photo skills uh, lunch and learn. And then we continue to have a large number of conservation transactions in the pipeline that we're really excited about. Yeah, so be now before the show, we were talking about one of the really, uh, I think important ones is the Hot Springs Trail uh, that you did a couple of years ago. Yes, that's become a really, um, really loved trail, in some cases overly loved, uh, absolutely. 
And so now, you know, what's been in the news lately of that sit-in last week at the, you know, the road to nowhere up there um, on, I guess it's El Salvo and, and Chaparral right, right along the 154. Is it true that the developer there actually donated a bunch of land to the, to the San Marcos Preserve? Yes. Yeah, so uh, over a decade ago, well before my time here, um, the San Marcos Preserve, the San Marcos Foothills Project did set aside about 90% of the land that the developer held at the time uh, for public benefit for permanently protected open space. And now they're the, the sit-in or I guess protest, I don't know what you call it. Um, they were protesting because they are now looking to build some, some homes in the adjacent property. That's how right. I understand. Right. Yeah. So the, part of the development approval called for the protection of over 90% of the property, and it allowed for the future development of what is now the subject of that civic demonstration. And I think part of the situation is just a long time has passed between when the develop, development was approved and the preserve created and, and when they're actually trying to take a step forward on the development itself, but it's not a new proposal. It's something that's been around for a long time. Now, was the land trust involved in that um, particular, you know, contract? It's certainly a number of folks involved with the land trust were, and there were a number of partners on that. Uh, again, it's before my time, so I don't have all the details, but my understanding is that we were, and we were supportive of uh, having over 90% of the land protected as open space. Now, the Santa Barbara Land Trust is Santa Barbara, but is the land trust national? Are there national land all over the country? So land trusts tend to have an area of interest. It's really important to have working knowledge at the parcel level of a certain geography. So we work throughout the entire county. And then there are convening organizations at the state level. So there's the California Council of Land Trust of which we are a member. And then federally, we have the Land Trust Alliance and we are an accredited land trust through the Land Trust Accreditation Commission, which is an independent arm of the national group. Um, and so we are in regular communication with each other. We establish best practices. We follow those things, but we work on a very specific geographic focus. In our case, the County of Santa Barbara. And how does the, uh, how would you say that the land trust impacts Santa Barbara's tourism spending and economy as a whole? Well, Santa Barbara is a destination that's known for its beauty, right? And what do people want to do when they get here? They want to see beautiful things. They want to interact in gorgeous places. They want to eat good food. Uh, they want to watch the hills splash pink in the evening. And so preserving the county's open space, the habitat, the recreation, increasing the recreation, providing more regional trails, et cetera, only you know, enhanced his visitor experience and that of the locals as well. Um, so I think it has a direct connection because the integrity of this place is tied to how we take care of it. And that extends throughout the county, whether it's rolling Oak Woodland um, in North County or the Gaviota Coast. If you're, if you're a farmer, can you make a deal where you continue to farm the land, uh, but you give up any rights um, to develop the land? So you keep the land working but you can make a deal with the land trust so that you get some either money or tax benefits, uh, but you keep the basic function of the land still, uh, still intact. Neil, that's exactly what the deal is. So a conservation easement placed over agriculture land is intended to allow agriculture to continue 
while uh, either buying or accepting a donation of the development rights. So rather than it becoming a subdivision as an extension of a neighborhood, it's just gonna stay in agriculture. That same farmer or rancher continues their practices while extracting some of the value for whatever they need it for. So not to get too political here, but again, I'm being, influ- <laughs> I'm being influenced by this book I'm reading okay. uh, about the, the Dust Bowl. Um, you know, you've got, you know, people working on farms at very, very low wages. They're, they're usually immigrants, some legal, some not legal. Um, is there any social efforts to, when you make a deal with a farmer, uh, to improve the lives of the people working on the land? Oh, that's a big question. I mean, I think if we're doing our job correctly as a public benefit organization, our work enhances everyone's life. You know, we don't get into things like uh, prevailing wage or other sort of labor related technical aspects of these deals. But what we do try to produce for our home is a place where everyone has access to clean water and clean air that you know, no neighborhood is less than any other when it comes to access to trails and getting outside and having some level of protection against severe climate impacts. So while we're not working directly with uh, folks in the agriculture industry to address issues around you know, living wage, et cetera, we are trying to provide a livable and equitable county as a whole for everybody. Yeah, I know in Ventura County, they're trying to work out uh, um, some way of educating the kids, childcare and education of the kids, of the people who work picking, picking, uh, picking, picking fruit. Um, uh, so, you know, I wonder if there's any way. Are those uh, your dogs, Neil? <laughs> uh, that, that's my wife. She's mad at me. And she, oh, dear. She, oh, God. It's going to be more mad now that you say that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Though, <laughs> um, so just is there any way to 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 um, negotiate into these deals uh, some type of of education uh, and childcare for the migrant workers? So, the, a conservation easement is really a real estate transaction that gets attached to the title of the 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 underlying fee, simple interest of the property, and it runs with the land. There are groups um, out there who are really active and successful at engaging on more of the social justice and um, sort of human aspects of the transactions. Ours is on the real estate side. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Eddie Taduri. I'm the founder of the Rhythmic Arts Project, or TRAP as it's better known. I wanted to tell you a little bit about the work we've been doing during this time of Corona. Our virtual classes have been reaching out and inspiring students around the world, as well as right here at home. Our primary objective is to promote the inclusion of people with different abilities, as well as their typical peers in all aspects of everyday life. Like everyone struggling to make ends meet in our nonprofit world, we depend on donations from folks like you. Please review the website at traplearning.org and give what you can. I'm very grateful. 
Attention men, under the age of 35, you know what really impresses the ladies? When a guy has a few drinks and later gets pulled over for buzz driving. That could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. There goes let's grab dinner and a movie. Oh, I know. You drive more carefully when you're buzzed. You've proven that hundreds of times. A woman admires that kind of confidence. And you've practiced how to speak if a cop does pull you over. Slowly, clearly, and politely like, Good evening, officer. A woman admires that kind of foresight. And what woman doesn't find it adorable that you call it buzzed even though the law calls it drunk? You could kiss $10,000 goodbye, along with any chance of having a girlfriend. Because nothing says, I'm a catch, more than a guy who lives in his parents' basement and calls it my place. Buzzed, busted, and broke. Because buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and level of service other banks can only dream about. So Meredith, what would you say is the biggest obstacle to get landowners um, to actually open their minds to this conservation, conservation easement idea? And what, what tools do you have to try to help help show them how it's beneficial for no, not only us as a community, but also them in particular. Yeah, I think, you know, some of the obstacles include things like for um, people who are either individuals or small business owners, this tends to be that one of their largest assets, if not their largest asset. And so the idea of doing anything with it is pretty intimidating. Uh, for other folks, you know, they feel that any kind of restriction or regulation um, is not something that they, they want some, you know, more personal liberty than that. Um, or it can feel as though we can somehow take their land from them. And what do we have? We have our 30 year reputation that demonstrates that we only work with willing landowners. We can't do anything to anybody's property if they don't want us to. Uh, we have expert staff and an incredible board of trustees that can help us navigate transactions and provide some wonderful support and advice. And maybe the most important thing, Diane, for land conservation is patience. You know, it's totally okay to develop relationships with landowners over the course of years. And they may not be ready to do a conservation transaction until something big changes in their life, a generational shift. And, and that's okay. We're, we're in it for the long haul. We're not thinking about what's going to happen in the next, you know, three, five, 10 years. Now, do you ever come again, come up against, you know, the next generation where the, the parents or grandparents entered into the conservation easement and the next generation is trying to negotiate their way out of it? So I think that probably happens less with an intergenerational transfer than it does with the second, second owner. So because the conservation easements um, run with the land, somebody can put their property on the market and sell it and somebody else can come in and buy it. And if they didn't do their full due diligence and pull up all of the aspects of the title report and really read the conservation easement and get legal advice, et cetera. And if we you know, aren't told that the property is sold, although we pay pretty close attention, then you can end up in a situation with a buyer of a property who doesn't understand what they've purchased. And that can be where some of the easement violations or the enforcement actions start to come up. Now, 
if you have a landowner who entered into a contract with you and then wants it, have you ever had come up against somebody who want, who then wanted to reverse it or change it? Oh, sure. And, yeah. And they can't. They cannot. So it, it's legally binding, non-changeable, non-negotiable. Right. The only um, you can you can amend a conservation easement to make it stronger, to enhance uh, the conservation values. And a conservation easement can be extinguished, you know, if the federal government say were to, to seize the property through eminent domain or some other, you know, along those lines that it can happen. But you really the whole point of a conservation easement isn't is its perpetual nature. It's supposed to last forever. So, Meredith, how much time do you spend during your day um, talking to people uh, and trying to get them interested in uh in donating their land is that cultivation is that an important part of your role yes cultivation of course uh returning phone calls uh visit getting normally getting out on the land and spending time chatting with property owners it's a significant amount of my job it's the entirety of our conservation director's job and our land acquisition specialist job it is what they do full time uh, and that they do very well and you had mentioned before about some enforcement. What what powers of enforcement does the um, land trust have? So the conservation easement, as I mentioned, is com complex and fairly rigorous. It spells out very clearly what's allowed and what's disallowed. And so, you know, we prefer to avoid really any kind of escalation of um, an easement violation or enforcement. We start by just having a conversation. You know, if we notice that somebody's built a barn where a barn shouldn't go, um, hopefully we've even noticed it when they're just sort of scraping the dirt to get ready and we can go out and have a conversation and try to resolve it amicably. And then we can enter into a series of notification and there's sort of a process spelled out within the easement itself about how violations are remedied. But ultimately some of these things end up in court um, and they're defensible, you know, and the Land Trust Alliance uh, carries a, is part of a brand of insurance that's for land trusts called terra firma. It's something we participate in and it's our easement defense insurance. If we need to take some of this stuff to court, we have robust legal protections and the, the sort of financial resources to be able to do that. Again, much, we try to avoid that. But, you know. how, how much time do you spend with people like Diane, financial advisors? I would imagine that would be a productive use of your time. Yeah, and we have some on our board of trustees. Um, we, I think you guys know Joe Weiland. He's on your show occasionally. He's on our board. Um, so, you know, we spend a lot of time talking with financial advisors, both on the side of, you know, property owners. However, we don't give tax advice or legal advice directly to property owners. They need, they need their own team. Uh, but we also do it for our supporters. There's a lot of folks that want to leave the land trust as a part of their legacy giving and plan giving. And we, we really speak on both sides of trying to figure out the right pathway for people to be a part of our work. And so do, do you see that, um, you know, properties adjacent to, to land trust easements, do you see them being, being more valuable because that open space is preserved? Yes, in general, and it's not just true here, it's true everywhere that properties adjacent to parks or open space um, and they can be little neighborhood parks or they can be more significant open spaces, uh, have higher property values and are more desirable. So uh, I live near now where uh, Prince Harry lives. So yeah. what, what would be better for my value living near Prince Harry or open space? 
I'm going to go with open space. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> open space is forever. So is the crown. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now when, when you um, enter into these easements, do you, do you specify, for instance, you know, water and, and natural resources? So if you have a property that has, you know, oil under it or some other uh, natural mineral that's um, sought after, do you, do you look to preserve those as well? Or is it more for the aesthetic land? Right. It's uh, so it's the answer is both. And we do conservation easements. We've been talking a lot about agriculture, but we certainly do them for habitat value as well. And we do a lot of um, transactions around mitigation, which is to say protection of habitat um, as, a, you know, sort of in lieu of some impact elsewhere. So if construction is happening somewhere, part of the deal uh, with getting the construction approved is that land has to be mitigated elsewhere to sort of compensate for that impact. And we're involved in that. And so, you know, there's all kinds of rights when you buy a piece of property, you brought up mineral rights for extraction. And in an ideal situation, we're entering into agreements on properties where the mineral rights are intact. They haven't been um, severed and held by a third party and we can extinguish them with the rest of the easement if that's appropriate for the kind of habitat that we're protecting. If the mineral rights have been severed and we can't, you know, and it was long, long, long ago and uh, we can't quite resolve that, we can get a letter of remoteness, a determination of remoteness from a geologist that says, you know, this just really isn't a feasible place to come in and, and do extraction of natural resources. You know, you're safe to protect this land without fear of future impact. Um, and in other cases within one property, there may be extraction areas that are happening. Uh, but what we're really interested in is the oak woodland and the vernal pools that are on a different part. It just depends on the size of the property and why we're protecting it. And what do you do about um, having uh, somebody work the land after they made the transaction? How do you deal with insurance? Uh, you still, you know, there's, they're doing stuff and you own the land. You, you have some liability. People hike through your land. Is that an important focus? Well, when we own a conservation easement, then we only own our the part of our interest is the easement itself and the property owner still owns the underlying fee. So we carry title insurance and we carry this easement defense insurance, the terraform insurance I mentioned. But for our fee properties, we do own some land and fee. Uh, we carry, you know, normal liability insurance, et cetera. California has really good protections for private property owners that have uh, things like trails crossing their property. California really wants to make sure that regional and larger trail networks and recreation corridors can take place um, and where appropriate cross private property, uh, providing real protection for those private property owners. Otherwise, it wouldn't be possible to do those things. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back with our final segment.
For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. Hi, I'm Tom Reed. Everyone knows the coronavirus has changed everything for all of us. The economic shutdown puts low-income wage earners at huge risk. If they do not work, they do not get paid. And food becomes the number one priority for their families. The Unity Shop is experiencing an increase in food requests with many new people coming. We do not know how far this increasing trend will go. This is the time to help our neighbors by going to unityshop.org to donate. Thank you. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So Meredith, you know, under your leadership, which is exciting, you know, I didn't even congratulate you when when you first said you, you joined four months ago to lead the Land Trust of Santa Barbara County. You know, what is your, what do you view as your number one um, mission over the next 12 months to, to get out there? And, and what, do, what do you hope to do in the next 12 months? I want everyone in Santa Barbara County to know the Land Trust for Santa Barbara County and feel like our work touches their lives and represents them and that they understand um, value of conservation. You hold now to have economics to buy on our road. Can you hear me? No, you're 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 breaking up. Try again, Meredith. Well I think I'll summarize Oh, now Sorry, I Diane, I'm back. I okay. apologize. Uh, what I was going to say is, you know, I think one of the, I hope you heard me say that I hope everyone feels like the land trust is here for them and that we all are in this together. Right now, you know, we're, there's a real movement globally to understand the economics of biodiversity and of ecosystem services and the role that our natural environment plays, not just in the sort of our quality of life in terms of it's pretty, we like it, but really, you know, what does it cost us in real dollars uh, when we do conservation and when we don't? You know, what are the impacts of climate change versus climate resilience? And 
how are we thinking about attaching our work in conservation to real life economic impacts that happen when we don't do this work. And so part of my job is to make sure everyone feels like their voice plays into this work and that there is robust access to conserve lands for them wherever they live, but also that folks really understand the cost of not doing this, which is exponential and existential. And so if somebody was listening and wanted to learn more about the land trust, what's the best venue for them to find out and access information? We'd love to have you sign up for our newsletter and our electronic newsletter. You can do that through our website, sblandtrust.org. Uh, we also respond to social media media inquiries. We love telephone calls and, and also write me a handwritten note if you'd prefer and I'll write you back. But our website is the best place to sign up for regular updates about our work. And is there also a donate, but, a donate here button on your website? I think there's probably more than one donate here button. And we also <laughs> offer uh, memberships and a variety of ways that folks can support our work. And I, I hope they'll consider doing so. We couldn't do it without them. What, what, what's really nice about what you do is that there's a three-prong benefit. You know, one is the, the idea of uh, having uh, land that is uh, kept in its original form for everyone to use. Two, it provides ways for families to maintain at least part of the land for farming or for whatever other use. But the third, which we really didn't discuss, is how it improves the overall economy and living standard of the community. And, you know, with your help, we have many, many places to go for recreation that we otherwise would not have. And I think people should consider that as well. Thank you, Neil. I, and you can go out and speak on our behalf anytime you want. You've got, got it. Well, better than that, I'm going to go now and hike on hot springs. Okay. Thanks to you. Uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for all you do. And thank you. Thank you for being a guest on our show. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB and We'll see you next week.